Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Sugarcoated Murder, where we'll discuss and probably inappropriately laugh about and comment on yep, one of our favorite subjects, murder. murder. Oh, and we love to bake. And why not combine our two favorite subjects? Baking and killers. Hey, Ann Barner. Hey, Karen Devaney. What are you doing in your kitchen today? Oh, Lord, girl. I am going to make pecan pie. Muffins. Oh, God, that sounds so good. I love me some pecan pie, and I love a muffin. So when you put the two together, I mean, what could be better? Amazing. I know. I'm so excited to get to taste this and to smell it cooking, because I do love me some pie. Yes. So So. I'll just give one very important hint about cooking with pecans. Okay. If you really want that good pecan flavor, you need to toast your pecans before you put them in your mix. There is a rule of thumb with cooking that when you use nuts, if you want to get the best out of your nuts, toast them. Toast your nuts. Toast them or roast them. But either way, make your nuts hot. (laughs) (laughs) So, welcome everybody to Sugar Coated Murder Podcast. We are having a blast and we hope you're all having a blast. And I'm going to start out by saying that... Um, if you want the recipe to this yummy muffin recipe that Ann is cooking today, you can find that. Or you, you can't find it. We have to find it for you, to be honest with we you. We found it for you. We already. For you. We already we did it. it for you. We, we done, done did it. Yes. And so you can email us at murder.sugarcoated at gmail.com. Whoop, whoop. And um, Ann Barner will then send you an email because that's her department. <laughs> yes, that's my department. <laughs> that's your department. That's what I'm doing. Annie that's, in charge of recipes. <laughs> yes, she is. Annie is in charge of recipes. And then um, we've had several people ask us for recipes, and we're always excited to know that you all are interested in what we're baking and you want to try it. But if when you do finally try it, please let us know either through email or through Instagram or Facebook or however you want to contact us. Yeah. How it turns out. Yeah. If you have any <laughs> tips to add in to me. Yes. Or if Ann made better. a huge mistake when she sent you the oh, um, recipe. Well, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. <laughs> and we'd also love to have a picture of it. A picture so, uh, of it. That does remind me of one time um, I asked Karen oh, Devaney for geez. recipes. Yes, I do this to myself we, all the time. That we had gotten from um, a bed and breakfast in Lancaster, Pennsylvania for baked oatmeal. And I was so excited because so I was going to make it for a breakfast that we were doing for my son's school. I was the president of the PTA by then. Of course you were. And um, she sent this recipe and I started looking at it and I was like, a quarter of a cup of salt. <laughs> and it was like two cups of oil. And I thought, you know what? This bitch is trying to sabotage me. Oh, my God. And that was really bad. And the calculations had, um, it was a quarter teaspoon of salt. 
Yeah, yeah, it was really weird because it was, I know what it was. It was supposed to be two-thirds cup of oil, and it came out as 23 cups yeah, of oil. It because my it whatever program I had used to send it to you had taken out all the special it characters. It did. She was like, sugar, are you sure this is the right <laughs> recipe? And I'm like, girl, I'm looking at it right here. And then she sends me the email back. And I was like, oh, dang, that's going to make a lot. So, anyway, I messed that up, but, you know, I'm just saying she might mess one up one time, too. And we would love to see pictures of whatever you bake. We yes. would like to see you see your pictures of what it looks like, know how it tastes. I want to see a picture of you eating it. Like, I want picture. Really? I want action want shots. I don't want to see it in their mouth. I just would like to see them eating it or enjoying it or serving it. Or I want an action shot. Let's see it on your breakfast table. Whatever. Just send us the damn picture. <laughs> So, anyway, yay, yay, jolly us. All um, right, so while I'm cooking, what are you going to do? I'm going to talk about a mug, because that's what we're here for. Yes, we do a so, mug podcast. And throw what? in a little baking. Are you kidding? I'm not. That's a novel idea. That's what we do. We should we should do something with that idea. We should. We shall. Okay. We're doing it now. Yes. Okay, so this very juicy murder. Oh, juicy. Oh, I love this one. Oh, uh, no. And anyway, it happens in Ireland, and I find the most amazing murders in Ireland, which I think is hysterical. And I hope that the people in Ireland that listen to us, because I know we have some listeners, yes. aren't offended by the fact that I love their murders. We do. They're so interesting. They have interesting people there, and those people happen to commit murder, I guess. I don't know. Yes. So anyway, we're going to talk about Catherine Scully. Okay. She met Tom Nevin in 1970 in Dublin, and they were married after a nice long courtship in 1976. That's good. That's a good, healthy courtship. Yeah. And, yeah, and they had a good marriage. Some people would say it was a successful marriage. Um, within 10 years of their marriage, they owned two homes, and they also ma managed a pub in Finglas, Dublin. And I was like, Finglas. Finglas. Fin, Finglas or Finglass, but it's only one S. So I was like, Finglas? It's F-I-N-G-L-A-S. Or is it Finglas? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I have a hard time even with just like normal two syllable common words. Yes, so I'm if sure. You're from Ireland, feel free to send us the correct enunciation of yes, the word. Yes. While, whilst you're eating a baked good. <laughs> so anyway. I was trying to figure out what's up, what's up with this Finglas place, but it, supposedly it is a really cool place to live. So I came across a list of 10 reasons why Finglas is the best place to live in Dublin. All right. Uh, the first thing I was trying to figure out is, is Finglas in Dublin or is Finglas next to Dublin? What is the relationship? Okay. So it's like a suburb of Dublin. Okay. So the first reason that you should live here is location, location, location. Okay. So, it's a suburb close to the center of the city, and it's just a few kilometers from the Dublin airport, so you can do a lot of trips, right? Close to the airport. Yeah. Easy to get to. Cheap housing. That's always a plus. Right. And not only that, but I looked at some of the homes, and they're very pretty. They have nice real estate there. And the houses go for, a modern home is like 259,000 pounds. But they're, and that one that I looked at was just exquisite. And then they're, you know, I'm saying a little bit smaller home would be 199000 but that's very affordable. Yeah. 
Also, we talked about how it's close to the city. Right. But it's easy to get in and out of. There, there's lots of routes to go to get into the city and back out and back into Finglas. So that's a plus on the list. There's a renowned Finglas village. Had oh. no idea. Wow. Yep. And this place is a has a lively atmosphere. A lively it atmosphere. says it's a it's had a lively atmosphere for decades. Decades. And it's a top spot for locals for um, shoppers that are there and everything. So it also it, it has lots of amenities like it's got a local youth club and a sports and leisure center. Leisure. Yes, but it also um, has a great shopping center and it has an Odeon Cinema. Odeon Cinema. They said it's a state-of-the-art Odeon Cinema. All right. Maybe so, that's like our state-of-the-art Regal Cinema. Perhaps. Yeah. It could be. And then they said a lot of famous people live there. What? I know. And then I looked at the list, and I didn't recognize any of them. Okay. <laughs> but just for our Irish listeners, <laughs> the likes of Brendan O'Carroll. Okay. And other famous people, Christy Dignum or Denham or Denham or Dignam, one what? of those names. Okay. Joe Jewell, Alan Downey, those seem to be um, really famous people there. And Alan, Alan Downey? Yeah. Now, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey? <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. Anyway, and it says that you'll meet some of the friendliest people here in Finglas. So the atmosphere is very home, homely, which in America means not very pretty, but I don't think that's what they mean there. I think they might mean what we would say is homey. It says, the writer of this says, I can vouch that you will meet some of the loveliest and soundest people around. Wow. Yeah, that sound like people. a great place to visit. You can grab a bite to eat at the Lemon Tree Restaurant. All right. I don't know what that is, but it seems to be a strong point. So, yeah. is did somebody murder somebody there? Yeah, or? I'm just telling you why this is a great place to be. Okay. It's a great place. It's, I'm just saying it's a good the murder, place. There's a lot of great There's a lot of reasons to live here. I'm just going to tell you that's a great place. All right, back to the Nevins, Catherine and Tom. Catherine and Tom Nevins. Yes. So in 1986, which means they've been married about 10 years, they opened Jack White's Inn near British Bay in County Wicklow. I mean, I feel like I'm saying all the right things. Nothing feels right on my mouth. Um, they did this March 19th. Whoop, whoop. That's my birthday. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So they opened this Jack White's Inn. There's a pub attached to it called Jack White's. But they also have the inn as part of it. Okay. Right. We're going to go ahead 10 more years in 1996. And so now they're married 20 years. And around 4.30 in the morning, Tom is counting the daily till at Jack White's. I hope it was filled with tons of money. Seems like they were doing pretty good. And um, Catherine was asleep in the in one of the bedrooms in the inn because they used that a lot. To, they stayed there. They lived there, and then a lot of the staff would stay overnight. Right. So she was asleep. Especially if you got a pub close by. Be easier just to crawl back. I mean, the pub is in the inn, so like it's literally you walk upstairs. You don't even have to go out in the outdoors. So why even drive? Just I agree. So and it's four thirty in the morning. So I hope somebody in that family is sleeping. (laughs) So anyway, Catherine says that she was awoken by a man who was pressing her face into the pillow. Oh no! And shouting, "Fucking jewelry, fucking kill ya!" 
which I often right. shout out loud in my sleep. So, but it was not her. It was a man's voice. Oh. Yes, he had a knife in his left hand. Okay. This is not good news. No. He he left in the Nevins' car, and it seems that he had somebody with him. There, she says there were two right. men. They took about 13,000 Irish pounds out of the till. Okay. But before they left, they shot and killed Tom. <gasps> shot him in the chest with a nine-pellet shotgun, which is like bird shot. It spreads. Oh, Tom. Yes. And so, um, and Tom did not make it. Oh, he, he, Tom. That's the murder part. Right. Okay. So, uh. and talking to the staff of the inn and the pub... The staff described Cam Cameron, no, that's a different person, right. Catherine as being enamored with rich or famous patrons. She would lavish them with free meals and special spirited coffees. Oh, my. Yes. And they said that she's quite a social climber. She's self-obsessed, and, and she's consumed with being successful. Right. Okay. Now, they, talked to, they asked about Tom. Tom was known as Daddy. Daddy? Mm -hmm. Hello, Daddy. Hello, Daddy. Daddy. <laughs> to the younger staff at Jack White's. He was adored. He often gave rides home to patrons after a night of drinking. As a matter of fact, he had he had returned that very night after giving um, a fellow a ride home just hours before he was shot. Um, Tom had a first wife named June O'Flanagan. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're being a little I'm noisier sorry. than normal. I'm just sticking the muffins in the oven, right? Yeah, you should. So, okay, June O'Flanagan. June. Uh huh. Well, I was more I was more excited about saying O'Flanagan. O'Flanagan. Yes, because that's from I think the Mouse Detective, the Great <laughs> Mouse Detective. So, anyway, his first wife June O'Flanagan described him as a wonderful man with high morals. This is his ex. Wow. Yeah. Very hardworking, who only had this lofty goal when when he was young of owning a home and maybe owning a pub one day. Oh, wow. So it seems like he achieved it, but maybe not with the right people. We'll see. So anyway, the staff felt like that Catherine was very open about wanting to erase him from her perfect life. Right. Him as in Tom. She openly offered money or incentives for killing her husband. Oh. That's oh, not nice. Oh, no. Yeah, she's I not nice. I where we're going now. Yeah. If, upon his passing, she stood to inherit over a million pounds and a property empire. That's very heavy stuff. I know. I agree. Heavy. That's a lot of pounds. I get it. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay. So, Bozo the Clown has come into the podcast. <laughs> Um, Catherine claimed that the IRA was responsible. Oh, right, right. Not right. to be confused with the IRS. No, not the that's, same. That's what we have here. They got the IRA over there. Yes, the Irish Republican Army. And I feel like they get a lot of like automatically. That's who did it. I feel like it's an easy dumping ground. I mean, I'm not saying they don't do a lot of really bad things, but... I don't know anybody from the IRA, and I'm not up on my Irish history, so lest someone from the IRA is talking, I have no opinion. I understand. I mean, not talking. The IRA is listening. <laughs> 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 and 
and she, I got to pull it together. So she said that three years prior to Tom's being shot, she had discovered that he had become somehow affiliated with the IRA. Oh, no. But the IRA has indicated they have no record of Tom's membership. <laughs> In their files, Tom's membership does not show up. But then again, that's what AAA says about me all the time, and I can't trust them. So suspicion starts to build around Miss Catherine, and this is why. Here's some suspicious things that, that the police are saying, or I think they're, they're called the guard, but I'm going to call them the police, the, the Irish cops. Okay. Okay. Oh, Flanagan. I I've love watched that. Some, some Irish-based shows on Netflix. And I thought they were called the police, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody from Ireland, please let us know, because we don't. We don't know. know. First of all, the first alarm for the inn and the pub mm -hmm. was not tripped until Catherine went downstairs after Tom had been shot and the murderers had fled. Oh. And she had said about 13,000 pounds were taken. But when they added up the total receipts for that day, there was more like 16,550 missing. So somewhere somebody's not adding correctly. Right. When Tom was shot in the chest, he dropped immediately. His reading glasses were still on his nose. His pen was in his hand, and he was in the middle of writing. Like, literally, they could see that where he stopped writing and fell over dead. So whatever happened, it's not like these robbers banged down the door, rushed him, and then him, and startled right, right. him because he would have taken his glasses off, dropped his pen, and probably stood up. Right. But he just, he, he was sitting in a chair and just fell over right. after being shot. So that's a little suspicious. So they are called the guards. Oh, my the God. Karen for the win. Yes. The police service of the Republic of Ireland. Oh, I love that. Yes. That's so tidy. Leave it to the Irish. Garda. Garda. It's Gaelic. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. We're fancy. We're so Look fancy. Look at us going fancy here. We are international. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and yet haven't set foot off of the United States. We've been to the Bahamas. Thing. Okay, let's not even talk about that. <laughs> okay, so back to my murder. Okay. So the bedroom was in disarray. Remember they wanted jewelry? Right. So jewelry was scattered all around, but nothing was missing. Oh. And the fingerprints that they lifted off of the drawers that had been pulled mm -hmm. were off of the sides, as if it had been pulled out and gently put on the ground. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah, so that's kind of telling. Also, there was no sign of forced entry, and the alarm was tripped from the inside. Oh, no. And there were no phone lines cut or pulled out of the wall, but two of the phones were off the hook. Uh-oh. One was in the bedroom. And one was outside of a, an adjoining bathroom. I mean, everybody needs a... Remember, Daddy had a phone in the bathroom? Yes. That was always a little disturbing. I never knew where he was speaking to me from. Right. Like he could have been... He also had a TV and a VCR in his bathroom. So a lot of things going on in that bathroom. Listen, you got to keep up with things. When I'm there's an emergency. That When there's an emergency and nature is calling at the same time as the emergency, you got to take care of business. Got to. So, anyway, witnesses also recalled how the day of the murder, Catherine told the staff no one was welcome to stay that night, as they often did. Oh. Oh. Everybody. Oh, well. She's yeah. really not 
Could it cover the tracks? Well, but it's all circumstantial. Oh, right. Okay. This happened in, what did I say? What what month? I know it's... Um, March. Okay. So, in, right. well, and this is... Right. Yeah. on your birthday? Yes. 1996. Right. Okay. In April of 1997, she is arrested. Catherine gets arrested, and she's charged with murder and solicitation of murder. Uh-oh. Yes. So, they have a trial. Okay. That trial collapses in a mistrial. Oh, no. Because somehow the jury deliberations could be heard outside of the jury room. Oh, no. So, they had to call a mistrial. But... They decided they're going to try her again. Sure. Back on. We're back on, We're doing people. It. We're doing back it. We're on. Taking it down. So in the in the midst of all of that, she became um, known in the media as the Black Widow. Ah. Also, it became a huge tabloid spectacle. Right. Um, there were lots of tabloids reporting on her appearance, what she wore. Her fancy clothes that she wore, oh, no. her demeanor, everything was publicly scrutinized to the point that the second trial judge issued a gag order on reporting what Catherine wore or how she appeared or acted in court. Oh, no. No pictures were allowed to be taken of her arriving or leaving the court. My goodness. Exactly. The trial came down to three key testimonies proving solicitation of murder because without solicitation of murder... You can't have murder, according to this trial. Okay. Okay? So the judge had told the jury, if so we can't... So like she didn't do it herself. She hired somebody? Exactly. Okay. So they're saying, if you charge her with murder, you have to prove that there was solicitation murder. And I guess it's just because of the way they charged her. Right. There's a the first witness, key testimony. We're talking about key testimony. William McLean. Okay? okay. Mick McLean is his name. McLean. Yes. So he was an ex lover. Oh, he, he was one of Catherine's lovers. Yes. Oh, yes, from four years prior to eighty six when she got married. Okay. Okay. So after they were lovers and she got married, that he never heard another word from her until she contacted him to quote get a job done. Okay. That job was going to pay out about 20,000 pounds and some insurance money. And she said, I'll even get back together with you. Oh, really? Yeah, but the man had moved on. So he pretty much said, oh, go fuck yourself. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. He said, thanks, but no thanks, and walked away from that. Yeah. So, second testimony. Gary Heaps. And I have to be really careful because I... Kept trying to say, what did I say? Gene Herpes. That's oh, not his name. Don't do that. I know, but it's all the word, all the letters were like soup, but it's Jerry Heaps. Okay. Okay. He was a self-confessed former member of the IRF. Oh. He testified that Catherine repeatedly contacted him with just some suggestions on how he might kill her husband. Uh-huh. After he turned her down for the 10th time. Uh-huh. She finally got a clue and stopped calling. Yeah. 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 Okay. She offered him whatever pub takings he could carry that night. So whatever is there and whatever you can carry. Whatever you can carry out, you got it, buddy. Shoot the man and get to getting just whatever you can fill your arms with. Or bring a pillowcase. I don't know. money in the pub for me. He was like, lady, stop contacting me. (laughs) Please stop calling. (laughs) 
so the next guy is John Jones. He's a TV TV salesman. All right. Yes. That I'm not sure how he knew her, but she she suggested that he proposition the IRA to shoot her husband because they were no longer they were no longer taking her calls. <laughs> so she was like, they won't listen to me. They've got my phone blocked, but perhaps you could use your own phone and just here's what you could say to them. I'm just asking for a friend. Yes. So she wanted him to proposition the IRA to shoot her husband. <laughs> and she also put in several requests um, for maybe uh, some batch, batched robberies. Like batched. she was saying batched. Oh, <laughs> a batch of robberies. No wonder they wouldn't take her call. The great lady was crazy. She was crazy. <laughs> so, and I'm just channeling the crazy for her just to set the scene. So anyway, she was suggesting several times that maybe there could be a botched robbery. And that's how... He could be shot. And uh, John Jones refused every suggestion. Oh, really? Yes. Imagine that. So then Catherine gets on the stand, and there's lots of drama. Mm, lots really? of drama. I can yes. Imagine. She had to be hospitalized in the middle of her testimony at one point because she was overcome with stress. Oh. She would cry uncontrollably on the witness stand to the point that they couldn't understand her and they would have to stop. She would have to get it together. Then she would cry again. And yet when she sat at the table, she didn't cry. Right. It was something about that, that one spot she was sitting that just, she had allergies. It could have been allergies. I mean, come on. It was just, it was distressing to her. Yes. So the jury deliberates for five days and which is a record length of time at that point. That is a long time. That's a long time for a jury. They convicted her of solicitation mm-hmm. and murder. All they right. got it. Double whammy. Yes. They got it. We got I you, know. Bitch. I know. Sorry, Mama. This was April 11, 2000. So oh, they wow. finally, the 12th, they came back in and they sentenced her to life. Wow. You's going away. Bye-bye. Pack your bags. Get your lipper sticker. Yeah, You're yeah. going to need it in the big house. <laughs> in the meantime... First of all, Tom's siblings are overjoyed at I'm this news. Sure. Overjoyed. But it's not over. Oh, what? Because you know I love a murder that's just not over. It's not over. <laughs> it ain't over till it's Tom's over. family had to go to court several times to block her estate from benefiting from his estate. Oh. Because of, and they used the murder conviction to do it. So they they're like she doesn't get his stuff. Right. She doesn't get half of everything no. because it's not. I mean, it, she murdered him. Right, you murder, you forfeit. Exactly. So evidently, it's not an automatic thing. At least not in Ireland. Mm. They gotta go talk about it in court. I don't even know how we handle that here in the states. I'm not either. I hope I never ever have. To I don't want out. to know. Yeah. She constantly petitioned the court to have. Her sentence thrown out because she continued to say it was a miscarriage of justice. And yet they continued to say, uh-uh. No. You're good. You're going to sit there. <laughs> so she then petitioned the court for release due to a brain tumor. Oh, uh, she got a brain tumor. She got a brain tumor up in there. And so September 2017, she was given a compassionate release. 
Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. They're very compassionate over there. Over here, over here, we're really? like, you've got life. We don't want to hear from you again unless there's like a 2020 actually, episode. Right. I'm telling you, actually, they would have, I mean, if it was General Hospital, they would have said, wait, I'm it sorry. was the brain tumor that killed the person, not, oh, not yeah. my client. Yeah. It was the brain tumor. Exactly. I get it, but they didn't say that. Okay. So she gets released in September of 2017, and she dies February 2018. Okay. So she cannot be on our prison tour. She cannot. No. No, she can't. No. But I will say that up until the time she died, she never stopped petitioning for Tom's money. Never. That's tacky. It's in bad it's taste. Tacky. It's in very bad taste. I agree. And I, evidently, they didn't have any children. I think he had... He had a child from a previous marriage. Right. But, um. I will tell you, I did a little snooping on this. And I, I happen to know that she did have a sister. You want to know what her sister's name was? Anne. Betty White. Oh, Bam. my gosh. Is it our Betty White? No, oh, dang. Really. That would have been so I scandalous know. for us to break that here on our that, podcast. That was really interesting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, she died without getting his money. Hey, hey. That's ha, good ha. News. So she she be dead. That's it. Catherine's over. That's She's the end done. of my story. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a good one. How's how's it going over there with them pecan it's really muffins? Good. Because We've got four minutes left. My God, it smells smell so good. Yeah, it smells like Thanksgiving. It kinda does. Yeah. It kinda does. It makes me very <laughs> hungry and and I have this yummy tea that we drink. A spot tea. I drink a spot of tea, especially anytime I'm doing a murder from over the pond, because then it makes me feel very connected to them. Oh, my. But anyway, this is yummy tea, and I'm just trying to hold on to it until the pecan muffins are done so that I can have a spot of tea with my muffin. Oh, yes. So, I, I can make that happen. That's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, in the meantime... We're going to take a little pause. We'll take a pause, and then I can talk to you about my murder. I also found a murder to talk about. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Look at you. No, I am not kidding Oh, no, you're not kidding, but you did great homework. Thank you. Good for you. You you. get a good score on your homework. All right. All right, then we're going to pause it. Okay, pause. Okay, we're back. And we're back. We're back. Yes. All right, so I'm going to talk to you about a murder. 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 This has to do with James Pearson. Okay. So the Pearson family had a great life, a nice home, two beautiful children. They lived in a quiet neighborhood in Selden, New York. James was an electrician. He had a wife named Kathleen. I'm just saying, you got an up north murder. I did. I got an yeah, up north one. Yeah. Okay. Keep, a keep son. On. He had a son named Jimmy, a daughter named Cheryl. Oh, and I said they had two beautiful children, but they actually had three because eight years after Cheryl, little Joanne came into the picture. Well, look at that. Little Joanne, yeah. So James was very authoritative. He was regimented, very, very, very strict. And two years after Joanne's birthday, Kathleen was diagnosed with a debilitating kidney disease. Oh, wow. So James did everything that he could to take care of his family as an electrician. He made sure Kathleen had the best doctors. Cheryl stepped up and became the second mother to Joanne. And in doing so, she kind of became a little bit isolated from her friends. Aww. But she did find comfort in going to school. Oh. She seemed to like to get out of the house. School yeah, yeah. gave her a chance to be a teenager as opposed to a mother. Yeah. Um, she got to leave all those mom responsibilities at home. 
Cheryl was a cheerleader. Of course she was. <laughs> she was a cheerleader. Yeah, girl. And she had a boyfriend, and his name was Rob. Well, all the cheerleaders have the boyfriends. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. Did I have a boyfriend? Kind of, kind of, kind of. Kind of. So the muffins are ready. If you'll oh, my just, heavens. It's my job to pull out Please do not burn the muffins. Oh, it's part of the podcast. I know. All right. So Rob cared deeply for Cheryl and oh, came from, also oh, came from a strict family. His father was um, a New York State detective. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jim was overprotective of Cheryl. Jim. I called him Jim, but his name is James. Sorry. I know this gets a little confusing. Okay, wait. Who's the daddy? So, the daddy is Who's James. Who your daddy is? Who your daddy is? The daddy is James. Okay. The boyfriend is Rob. Oh, I thought it was Jim. <laughs> no. No, no, no. I know. I said Jim, but I meant James. Okay. All right. No uh, People did call him Jim, but um, it just seemed a little easier because there was a Jimmy just to call him James. Because that's his name. James. His we name is James. Call him what his name is. Tragically, on Valentine's Day in 1985, Kathleen passed away from oh. her kidney disease. Um, Jimmy had moved out of the house by then. Jimmy was the son, right? So it was just James, Cheryl, and Joanne. Uh, Joanne knew that her responsibilities would have to increase to take care of little Joanne. On February 6, 1986, James got up, got himself ready, and left a little bit early to go to work. Cheryl had a lot to do before school. She had a lot of responsibilities, oh, right? Man. She fell into her routine, and when she went to let the family dog out, she saw her father laying face down in the driveway. She ran over to him and shook him, screamed for him to get up, but he didn't move. And he was face down. When he didn't respond, she ran over to the neighbor's house, bangs on the door, asked them, you know, come quick, come quick. There's something wrong with my dad. So the neighbor called the police. When the police arrive, um, they look at the situation and they immediately call for an ambulance. Oh, wow. Jim is still face down in the driveway. People don't want to roll him over? I guess they couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. Okay. Um, when the EMS workers arrived, they rolled Jim over, and they find that he'd been shot in the head. Oh, my gosh. And in his chest. The police at the scene noticed shell casings on the ground. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. So, James was dead. Police had to go into the house to tell Cheryl and Joanne that their only remaining parent was dead. Wow. Police started to interview Cheryl and asked if she knew who would want to kill her dad. She was shocked because it never occurred to her that someone had killed her dad. She thought he had fallen on the ice. It was cold. It was February in New York. She thought maybe he had fallen on the ice and hit his head. Strange, though, during that conversation, Cheryl asked the police officer if he was wearing Chaps cologne. He said yes, and she said it was the same cologne that her boyfriend wore. Just a very odd statement to make in the middle of questioning and just finding out that your dad had been shot. But she was 16. And, I mean, I'm just going to say, I'm not 16. I'm... And... (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Squirrel. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right, right, right. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I can't believe my dad... You smell that? 
smells like chaps. What were you saying? <laughs> it smells yeah. just like my boyfriend. Exactly. So, I mean, let's just give a little credit. Right. So the police start going through the Pearson house and they find it a little bit strange because the house is lavish on the inside. There was sports memorabilia, very expensive framed, signed pictures, jerseys, baseballs. It was furnished beautifully, Somebody just very, very lavish, which seemed like maybe a little more than what you would expect to find from an electrician. Oh, I forgot he was an electrician. Right, right, right. Wait, he was an electrician. He was. He was. He really was an electrician. <laughs> yes, that is, that is what he did. Keep it all straight. I'm filing it. It's good. <laughs> We're good. So even stranger, police found an arsenal of weapons hidden in the house, one of which was an Uzi. What? Yeah, so I guess like they were searching around and there was maybe a ceiling tile or something in one part that was a little askew. So they moved it back and they look up in this little area in the rafters of the house and damn if they don't find all of these guns, just guns. Stockpiles. Stockpiles. Right. That's crazy. Something strange is going on. For an on. electrician? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's fine to be a gun collector, but right. it's a lot. Well, um. But then his wife died. His wife did die, and remember, he kind of had a reputation of don't mess around with him. Yeah, you know, he's, he's he's rigid. He might be a little bit of a. I know he's not Italian, but when we in the South think about people in New York who are like, you know, don't mess with this guy or whatever, we think of him kind of as maybe a little bit of a Guido. Oh, a Guido, right? Okay, you know, Just you like know, a tough guy, like a tough guy. He's a tough guy. You're a tough guy. Okay. Um, He's a gun-toting, sports-collecting tough guy. guy. Yeah. Okay. So um, he did have a reputation. If somebody was to hurt he or anybody in his family, he was going to find a way to hurt them back. Ooh. Right. So if somebody owed him money, he would take his gun with them, and he'd shoot up their car. Oh, my gosh. That's... Right. He's serious business. It's a little out of hand. Right. Like, Like, you don't owe me money. That's not going to happen. You pay me your money. Yeah. If you don't pay me your money, something's going to happen to you. That was his attitude. Oh, I wonder if that was on his business card. It may have been. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, thanks, but I don't need I'm your good. services. I don't I'm need my house rewired. I'm scared. I'm scared of you. <laughs> so police also found a little black book that had people's names and dollar amounts um, listed. So they were wondering, are you involved in some sort of a shady business? The police continue to investigate, and then they find a subterranean garage, and it is filled. Your face, <laughs> what you're your saying? face right what now is what? very distracting. Motorcycles and cars, antique cars. Where in the hell is he getting this? I know. And also a very elaborate recording system that recorded all the conversations he had on his phone. So if there was a phone conversation happening inside his house, it was recording out in this subterranean garage. Stop saying subterranean garage. It's (laughs) disturbing. I don't know what else to tell you. It was kind of an uh, undergroundish type garage. Does that help? Okay, that's better. (laughs) Subterranean. So police asked Cheryl if she knew anything about his business dealings. 
She said she didn't know anything, but detectives kept pressing. So they found out that James had been stealing electrical equipment from his employer and using it to do side jobs. So he could go in and charge, you know, whatever money. and It, 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 it only cost him his time. Yeah. Right. So he was making a little money on the side. And he did also have some rental properties. Okay. And he would go collect rent on those. With a gun. And that helped explain the, li- the lavish lifestyle. I don't think it does. I don't think it explains the subterrane garage. Right, right. I understand what you're saying, but it is what it is. Okay. So police got a call from Cheryl's boyfriend, Rob's father. Okay. So the boyfriend's father, right? (laughs) Rob's father, 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 told police that James and his son, Jimmy, had recently had a really big falling out. And that James had cut Jimmy out of his will. Oh, dear. Done. Out. Get You get fuck out. Oh, my gosh. Out you go. This man was hard. Yeah. So detectives then call Jimmy in for questioning because they're going to want to know. He denies any involvement in his father's murder, but he does tell them that he suspects his sister Cheryl and her boyfriend Rob were the ones behind the murder. Oh, my. Um, Jimmy said that Rob had asked him... To help him find somebody murdered James. Detectives start to look a little bit deeper into James and Cheryl's relationship. And they find out that James had been abusing Cheryl physically and emotionally. They also find out that there had been an incident at the house where James had hit Cheryl across her face in front of Rob. And what happened was Cheryl had gotten up from the dinner table and she got ice cream for dessert. Mm-hmm. When she brought the ice cream bowls to the table, she put ice cream in front of Rob before she put it in front of her father. And he saw that as a sign of disrespect. Oh, this man, like, he had a, he had a domination issue. Yeah. Yeah. So he got up and hit her. Gosh. Detectives are thinking, you know, we might need to have a little talky-poo with mm-hmm. Rob. <laughs> We need to have a little, <laughs> a little sit down. Don't be afraid. No. Don't no, be afraid. Do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they go and pick up Rob. And remember, again, these are high school kids, sixteen. So yeah. just keep that into perspective, because I think as I was moving along the story, I was like, oh my goodness. And then I remembered, wait, these are just sixteen-year-old kids. kids. These are kids, and you know, Joanne is what at this point because yeah. she's eight years after Cheryl. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So these are young kids that we're talking about. So anyway, they start to question Rob. Um, they do that whole good cop, bad cop thing, and they tell Rob they know that he killed James. They're like, oh. we know you did it. We know mm-hmm. it was you. Rob says, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And detectives say, if not you, then who? And Rob said, it wasn't me. I didn't do it because I paid the guy to oh, do it. Jesus. Right. Come on. Come on, Rob. Come on, me. I will tell you. I will swear on a stack of Bibles. I didn't do it. It was not me because I paid that guy. I paid that guy. I know I didn't. I didn't do it. He said that Cheryl had asked someone named Sean in homeroom to kill her father. Homeroom. And I thought, okay, I'm 16. I'm sitting in school. It's homeroom. I'm throwing some spitballs. We're chatting and chatting. And everybody's like, would you do this weekend? We're talking, oh, um, I watched a new show. This is exactly how it happened. 
for her. She's like, I watched this new show and it was about this woman who hired somebody to kill her husband. What would you, how much money would it take for you to kill someone? Oh, right. And everybody else is like, yeah. So Sean was like, yeah, I mean, I guess if I knew somebody was getting hurt or something, I'd do it. They kind of honed in on Sean, like, oh, you Sean. would, you do it. Rob paid him 400 bucks. What? The down payment. Down payment. Oh, it's just down payment. $400, which is a lot of money for a 16-year-old. Right? Like, yeah, right. that's a lot of Uber Eats. Right. It's a lot of DoorDash. <laughs> a lot of DoorDash Uber Eats. Yeah. So detectives go and pick up Cheryl and ask her, what the hell happened? What yeah. is going on here? Cheryl confessed that she had asked someone to kill her father for $1,000. So the foreigner was just down payment. They still had to come up with another $600. But Sean was like, dude, give me the down payment $400. I got you. I got you. I got you. No problem. Um, she said, I did it because I was being sexually abused by him. She said it had started when she was 12 oh. and had been going on every single day. He raped her two to three times a day from the day her mother died until the day her father died. And then James had threatened that if he, if she ever told anyone that he would start raping Joanne. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I know. Subterranean garage. Right. This This is horrible. Bad news. This guy is bad news. Well, I can't the detectives at this point go, hmm. I didn't hear any of that. We're just going to say. I'm just going to say he did slip on the ice. He slipped. It looked like a belt. No, it was puncture. It was a puncture. puncture. Yeah. So, um, she talked about how she had seen the news report about the lady and she had talked to Sean about it. And Mm -hmm. Sean said that he, for the right price, he would do it. So, she and Sean continued to talk about it, brought Rob in. Rob gave him the money and um, Cheryl waited. But it, it was four months. Four months had passed, and Cheryl was starting to get nervous. So the night before James was murdered, Cheryl was cheer, she was cheering Aww. at a basketball game, and Sean was playing basketball. Okay. And you know how sometimes, you know, they do like a, a cheerleader is getting in a line, and the basketball players run through the line. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you know, like a high-five kind of thing. Right, right. So yeah. as they're high-fiving, she's like... Dude, when you're gonna kill my dad? <laughs> go, go team! Here I go, running through. When are you gonna kill my dad? Oh, go, go team! Woo! Yeah, let's go! Woo. Let's go! That's us, right? Oh um. So he said, and "He said, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it." Right after I play this game, <laughs> I just gotta play this game. And get myself together. So it was actually the next morning that Sean went over to the oh. Pearson home. He waited for James to leave the house, and he shot him. Okay. February the 13th, James, uh, Cheryl, Rob, and Sean were in court for an arraignment. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no real proof to support Cheryl's rape ap- accusations against her father, so her attorney um, tries to find some evidence. Well, Cheryl says... I've got evidence for you. I'm pregnant. And it's my father's child. Oh, no. No, no, no. This is awful. Yeah. So prosecutors are not buying the whole, I was 
a victim of sexual assault. I'm pregnant with my father's child. They're not buying it. So they pull out all the stops. They're, they're like going after her hardcore. And with all the stress and everything else, Cheryl suffered a miscarriage. Oh, that's bad timing. Yeah. Oh, that's so devastating. I know. Um, but through testing, they found out that the baby was not her father's, but was in fact Rob's. I know. It was going to be a good defense, but it didn't work out. Yeah, because she forgot she had sex with the other guy. Right. Oh, whoops. I forgot that one. But then again, she is 16. She's high five on the guy saying, When you're going to kill, kill my dad, dad. right? So this really did not look good for Cheryl's defense. Cheryl's yeah. not. And her claims that her father had raped her. Yeah. So on the advice of her attorney, Cheryl pleads guilty to manslaughter. Oh. Right. In 1987, Rob appears before the court. His charges were dropped to solicitation for murder. He received five years probation. Remember, he's 16. 16, five years probation. For solicitation. For solicitation. Sean pled down to manslaughter. He was sentenced to 24 years in prison. Oh, my gosh. Really got the brunt of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did the shooting. He He actually accepted the money and pulled the trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, September 1987, uh, Cheryl faces the judge for sentencing. There were 20 people at her trial who said they believed Cheryl and that they knew something was happening in that house, but they never said anything to anybody. Oh, shame on all of them. Three weeks later, the judge, the judge, um, sentenced her to six months in jail. She was 18. She also got five years probation. Okay. So six months in jail, five years probation. In an interview, Cheryl said that when the bars closed on her in jail, she felt safe for the first time in six years. Oh, my god! She knew she was safe from her father, and she knew that her sister Joanne was safe. Oh, that gives me chills I know. over. So she was released after three months for good behavior. You know why? That's the cheerleader way. It is. It, it is. is. She was really good. She's really good behavior. Those cheerleaders, good girls. Right. That's good stock right there. Right. In 1987, Rob and Cheryl got married. Like he waited for her? Yeah. They waited for each other? They really were in love? They really were in love. It really was a bad situation, and they were desperate teenagers making the wrong decisions. Yeah. But And shame on all those 20 people that knew something was going on and, and never said anything. anything. Damn it, people. Yeah. People. Yes. Speak the fuck up. Right. Um, Rob and Cheryl are still married. Oh, my gosh. I have chills on my chills. I know. I have chills on my chills. And they have two daughters. Oh. Yeah. In December of 2002, Sean was released. And now he works with the governor's office and sits on the board of directors of a college that offers prisoners a college education. Well, that is, that is, I mean, that's actually a happy ending. I know. So, Rob and Cheryl wrote a book called Incest, Murder, and a Miracle. Oh my god. I know. So yeah, it this was kind of I let me think of where I got this one. This one came from I can't remember. One of the ID discovery shows I saw. And they did interviews with Rob and Cheryl and Sean. Oh, where's Joanne? Joanne never they never said a word about her. They did not involve her in anything. And my guess is she probably just wanted to move on with her life. 
Oh, wait, no, I, I take that back. Joanne and Cheryl are still really close. Aww. Yeah, because they did show a picture of Joanne and Cheryl together. That's sweet. You know, and Joanne saw what was going on. Yeah, Even I'm though sure. she was eight, she still knew what an abusive situation yeah, it was. I mean, and she, Cheryl took the brunt of it. Yeah, for her um, sister. And her dad was a very bad man. With a subterranean garage. A subterranean garage. That is, some that is not, yeah. Right. And I to threaten, know. you know, if you don't keep your mouth shut about us having sex together, I'm going to rape your sister. That is a, what a, diabolical daughter. I know. I mean, that's just, ew, what a nasty, I'm thinking that they need to look and see if that woman really did die from her kidney disease. Right. I think she was just distraught as hell at this monster that she was living with. I, I, I might. He had a subterranean garage. No good can come from that. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you have one, Get it, get it going right now. I, and don't be stolen good. Don't steal from your employer. Don't have antique cars in a subterranean. Don't do subterranean things. You can have a subterranean garage and just park your car in it. Why do you need it to be subterranean? It's because you're hiding because it. Because it's just the way the property was built. Oh. He didn't build it. They bought the house this way. I... I it's oh my just God, a, you have led me astray. It's just a detached garage that happens to be partly underground. That's weird. Remember, I lived in a subterranean apartment. I didn't have Uzis in my rafters. Well, I, no, and I didn't steal from my employer. No, I didn't, you didn't take any kind of electrical equipment or any. I mean, I, I was good. Everything was good. I raised my kid in a subterranean apartment. <laughs> and it turned out pretty and, damn good. Yeah. Yeah. The rent was cheaper. <laughs> Nobody wants to live partly underground. I still think that subterranean garages okay. sound ominous to me. I understand, but people who have subterranean garages might be of offended them. by your comments. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm saying get rid of it. No good can come from it. Or maybe just turn it into a flower garden. Or a wine cellar. A wine cellar. Yes, that's so much better. It's still ominous, though. I'm going to go to my subterranean wine cellar. You don't cellar call it that. Because a cellar is the subterranean part. Understood. That's the cellar part. Right. So you don't even have to involve that word. Thought it was a cellar was underground. That's what subterranean means, you part. dimwits. It's only part underground. We don't call each other dimwits. <laughs> that is not what we do. I know. <laughs> we don't. We lift each other. We lift each other up, damn it. We That's do not, not put each other down. Way. It's not the cheerleader way. It's not the cheerleader way. Pull I'm yourself back, sugar. Please forgive me. I mean, I'm going to forgive you because I'm a Christian woman, but don't call me a damn dimwit again. I'll not, I will reach right over this counter and sock you in your mouth. Okay, I'm having some freaking muffins. Let's this have a pecan south. muffin. This is going subterranean. <laughs> Let's have ourselves a little okay, warm pecan muffin. Mm -hmm. I would like mine with a little dab of butter. Then you need to come butter it. I mean, yes, I'll get that for you. Just Thank you. It. Thank the you. tea is cold. I appreciate it. Well, you've been standing in there listening to the story. You could have hated your <laughs> You're such a good storyteller. Thank you. This is how I built you up. Okay. Here, have a piece. All right. I mean, not a piece. Let's have your I'd like the whole muffin. There. Oh, my gosh. It's yummy. It's hot, though. Mm. Oh, I'm hot. I'm hot. I'm hot. Oh, but it's so good. All right. Mm. Well, I'm going to make these muffins. <laughs> Please don't <laughs> talk with your mouth full. That's not the cheerleader way. <laughs> but anyway, these are super, super good. It's like warm pecan pie in your mouth, mm -hmm. and it is just this bundle of goodness. It is. And it makes a big difference when you toast those pecans, doesn't it? I mean, you got to roast your nuts. Roast your nuts, people. they're not going to do anything for you. 
Press your nuts. Mm -hmm. Again, I'd be happy to share the recipe with you. All you What's have to our do? email address? Murder dot sugar coated at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> and also we're on the Instagram now. We are on the Insta. I don't we're know. On the Insta. I don't we're know how to work the Insta. Murder on the Insta. And wait, wait, our kids said don't call it that. I call what it the it? gram. The gram. That's what they said I couldn't call it. <laughs> oh, okay. So we can call it the Insta, but not I the gram. I think we can. Because I think of an Insta pot when you call it an Insta. Oh, they probably are going to have a problem with that, oh. too. Instagram, guys. Just Instagram. 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 the pictures. Anyway. Oh, and Facebook. Join our Facebook fan oh group. Oh, my gosh. We have so much fun in that group. We we do. We really have fun. We're all about the hashtags. So if hashtag. you ever have a good hashtag, send it our way because we yeah, love a hashtag. We just want to say thank you so much for listening. We're having a great time. I think y'all are having a great time. I hope so. We can see that you're still listening. Yes, thank and you. Let us know what a great time you're having by emailing us or telling us on one of our social media accounts. And y'all stay sweet. Oh, and have a really, really great week. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.